Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College. And with that, let's pray. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desires of every living thing. Amen. Amen. So our topic today is one that is directly suggested by the scriptures and by a little familiar piece of Lutheran theology, and that has to do with, we'll call it social perception or social cognition. It has to do with just how we make sense of people. And so with that very brief introduction, John, why don't you take us into the scriptures? Yeah, so we're going to be in um, 1 Samuel, and this will take place as uh, Samuel is going about and finding King David, as Saul has been rejected by the Lord as king, and Samuel is going to find his replacement. So he shows up in town, and he goes to uh, Jesse and his sons. And this the, is this is Bethlehem. I have that right. Yeah. Yep. So he he goes there, and uh, they're consecrated. They have the sacrifice, all the rituals that that they do, and uh, Jesse lines up his sons, and he saw. Um, Eliab, I don't know if that's the way to pronounce it, but sure. Yeah, he's, he's one of the sure. sons, and he says, "Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord." And uh, we're going to focus on the Lord's response to Samuel as he kind of looked at this son and and kind of made a judgment about him. And the Lord says this to him: He says, "Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him." The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So that will kind of spur on our intrigue into social perception and the way we make inferences and judgments about people and and so forth. And it and it comes right from scripture. And it comes up multiple places in scripture where we, we very much tend to look at someone's outward appearance because that's what we can see. Um, but the thing that we can't see is their their maybe their intentions or their heart or their faith, those things that we cannot see that God alone can see. Um, and here we're reminded of that. Absolutely. Um, that's a nice setup, John. And um, something very familiar to us uh, as Lutheran Christians is how Martin Luther explained the Eighth Commandment. And um, it's interesting, when I, when I learned the Eighth Commandment as an eighth grader from my own dad, we would have said, um, fear and love God. How does that go? Well, I'm going to embarrass myself. Uh, <laughs> the <I'm>, part of, <laughs> well, now you're embarrassing me too. <laughs> <laughs> do we start over or do I, we? Do I, we... I, I think we continue. I okay, like it. I like it. <laughs> we do. Um, My dad would roll in his grave. <laughs> the point, the part I'm after is the obligation. So we're talking about the obligation or the will of God in regard to these judgments. Mm-hmm. And I learned the phrase to put the best construction on everything. So to fear and love God or obligation to my neighbor is to put the best construction on everything, which is really interesting phrasing. I think the, the phrase I learned was to take their words and actions in the kindest possible way. And that, is, that, is that a different, yeah, is that, that a similar? That's the updated yeah, version. Yeah. <clears throat> and that actually says something very powerful too. Yeah. Um, I talk to my students often in terms of a generous point of view toward mm-hmm. people, and we're going to examine that point of view. We're, we're going to be thinking you know, about the 
the role that sinful nature is going to play in this issue of how we make sense of people, and we want to, you know, crucify that. And then, what does the Bible say? So, um, before we get into more of a definition, I forgot to say, John, happy birthday. We we share a birthday. It, it isn't yeah. today, but it, we share a birthday. It happened very recently. Yeah, and happy birthday to you as well. Yes, and how old are you, John? Uh, <laughs> math is hard here. Um, 28. 28, 28. And I'm 57. So I'm still more than twice as old as you, <laughs> which is just striking me as very surreal or something. <laughs> but, well, I think I just recently, um, like I remember vividly my 14th birthday, and I've lived over half my life since that time, which yeah. is kind of a strange thing to right. think about. So. Based on my parentage, I have about a third of my life to go, but of course this is not in my hands to know this, <laughs> but I think about my mortality. Yeah, it's going to take me like, it's gonna, I'm notorious for not remembering how old I am because mm. I kind of try to stop counting it sometimes. I lost but. a year of my life that way. Mrs. Paustin tricked me into thinking I was a year older, so I never got <laughs> to be 42 or whatever the year was, and, and I can never get that back. So anyway, oh, you could make it back. I'm sure. If you, Maybe this year. Yeah, you're this year. 42. You're 42 now, and then in which case I am over half your oh, age. I, so I just married off both my daughters this summer, and yeah. seeing wedding pictures, I just had to comment on one of them. I, that's not how I look in my head. Seeing picture <laughs> yeah. of me dancing with my daughter. That's just not how I look in my head. <laughs> so 42 sounds good. We'll go with that. Yeah. So <clears throat> our topic. Um, First, the topic comes right from scripture, but the idea is, so where's the point of contact with communication scholarship with this issue of social perception? Well, that's what it's called. In the scholarship, it's called social perception or social cognition. And um, I think the main import of this area of theory is that we learn to understand kind of how the process works, how we're making sense of people, and we, we come to have a sort of a healthy suspicion of the process. That is, we have a healthy suspicion about our judgments and how accurate they are. And that's where I, the, the scriptures themselves will inspire us and inform us and help us to what I've called already the generous point of view that we owe each other. So one way one way I've sometimes talked about it is sort of the fog between you and I as we're talking. Um, what's in the air, so to speak, is what I think of me, what I really think of you, what I think you think of me, John. John, what you think of you, what you think of me, and what you think I think of you. These are six things. Can you say that a couple times really, I, really I, fast? I, can, I can say it really fast, but I think <laughs> the point is made that this is the perception that is not necessarily reality. Once we look at how flawed the process is and, yeah. again, how complicated our sin, what sin does to the process, making us very ungenerous. Certainly. And also making us not not doubt our perceptions. You know, I, mm-hmm. when someone used to in my ministry used to say to me, well, Pastor, I'm a pretty good judge of people. And she would always say this, and the next thing she would say would be just be horrifyingly vicious. So her the issue is she does not doubt her process. She just knows. She just knows yeah. what's in people. And so we want to step back from that and re- repent of that and find a better way. Mm-hmm. So um, another way I guess I thought of describing it, social perception is that which would keep me from approaching you openly and open-heartedly to find out who you are, you know, to kind of of be prepared to have a more complex view than what I would initially draw. Like I'm Mm -hmm. knocking on doors and 
I see a guy up to his armpits in his, in his car, you know, and he's got, let's say, tattoos all over and chains mm-hmm. and leather yeah. and all kinds of stuff and a whole lot of hair, just this big mountain of a man. And, you know, here I'm knocking on doors for, for Jesus, right? And yeah. There's something in me that makes me want to walk by and just say to myself, he's not going to want what I'm bringing, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, because social perception is kind of like, well, I already know. I, I see yeah. that man. I already know everything I need to know about him. And um, we want to step back from that. Yeah. And I think one thing that that kind of outlines is that uh, one of the core components of social perception or social cognition is that we have very often, or you could argue always, a limited amount of information about the people that we're observing or, or looking at. It's like, how much do you really know this person? And you can see that with um, with Samuel. He looks at the tall son of Jesse and he says, oh, surely this is the one that'll do it. And he, he, like, he made a positive inference there. I mean, sometimes it's negative, but but there's more to it than that, that we, that we <clears throat> need to catch ourselves in. And I think it's also interesting that thinking that just being aware that there are there is more to it is a is a good first step in that process. Yeah, it's saying like, okay, so maybe my first initial reaction is not positive, but, I hadn't but there's about more that. to know. But there's more to know, and that's a thought that you did have. And I think that, I mean, sometimes it's easy just to go with that first impression and just, you know, that's it. that's all you get. You only get that first impression. But when you take a step back you can allow yourself to explore more and it really just paves the way for a little empathy Yeah, to I, get to know I, them I more. I had never so. made that connection with that scripture, uh, the <clears throat> connection to, to communication theory, which is, they call it salience, which is in the vast total complexity of another person, in the vast total complexity of what they present visually in every other way what they present in terms of what groups they're part of, you know, this whole range of things that people present on the outside. And the salience is the things I tend to notice because for whatever reason I find them relevant. And so the the fact that Samuel notices height, I mean, that actually is his salience. He, there's things he picks up on yeah. and they're all visual. Yeah. And from there he goes to this reach where surely this is the new king of Israel. Yeah. And no, <laughs> no, not even close. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and that salience is just the things that you tend to pick up on because of your previous encounters or previous happenings that would make you think that this mm-hmm. would be an important characteristic to look at exactly. in a certain situation. There's a name for that too, if yeah. I'm thinking. Um, it's it's called implicit personality theory. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, that does. So... Not a theory in any book you'll ever read, but it's your own personal set of theories that come from your own experience. So I've got a theory about tattoos, I mentioned. I've got a theory about different ethnicities. I've got a theory about, you know, beautiful people. I've got a theory about jocks. I've got a theory, 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 you know. I've got a theory about potty mouth. If you've got a potty mouth, I've got a theory about other qualities that you probably have, too. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I guess the idea is, it sort of starts with the vast total complexity that we can't even ever put on display. Yeah. There's just more to us than only God can see. Out of, But out of that, 
then you would think about how much a person can display. But even that, even if it's a small portion mm-hmm. of who they are, even that is vast in terms of the amount of information that uh, we have externally about us. And so the theory, again, is that we're going to tend to catch a few things, just a sliver of what's there. We're going to catch a few things. And based on our experience, we start to add meanings to things. And before you know it, it's called the ladder of inference, the ladder of inference. We climb gradually applying meanings and assumptions to things. At the top of the ladder, we are dealing with people according to perception that you're arrogant or whatever, whatever it might be. And um, again, it's, it's really to step back and realize the process is really problematic. And we, we just are, our communication is fraught with errors. Yeah. Really. And that's where, what I remember from this, which was, I mean, it is a more broad theory, not one that you'd study specifically. Um, but we did talk a lot about the biases that we sometimes take into these situations and how those affect our ability to make correct judgments. So mm-hmm. those are those are things to be aware of. I mean, I pulled up a list of them here. There's the availability heuristic, the Dunning-Kruger effect, the... What is that? The Dunning-Kruger is... Um, well, I'll just read it. It's effect by which test takers fail to understand their poor performance because they suffer a double fault. So the first problem is that they don't have they they don't have enough knowledge to produce good test results, and then two, um, their shortfall of knowledge prevents them from being able to understand uh, why prevents them from recognizing their lesser responses when compared to those of others. So you're sort of hmm. Like someone who's, uh, I don't know, I can't think of an example right now, but I'll just let it be as it is. <laughs> be, be, be wary of the Dunning-Kruger effect. There you go. So, um, there um, you but go. other things like uh, self-fulfilling prophecy oh, exactly. might be like, a, <clears throat> that might be similar to um, the one that you were talking right. about earlier, where you, you tend to take things that are important to you and those are the things that are important about this other person. Well, maybe not. And and then you filter out any information that would change your perception because, you yeah. know, and you only receive information that confirms your perception. And that could be the example you gave, too, yeah. is what, how I think about my math ability. Well, I'm going to receive certain um, stimuli that's true, and I'm going to filter out everything that would, yeah. would uh, contradict. And so there there are a lot of categories of this, um, a lot of categories for how these work. Like the, I mentioned the horn effect, which is I see one bad quality, I assume others. The halo effect is the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one more thing before we move hmm. off from the biases or the the errors is that um, if we distinguish between um, uh, the locus of control, so if a if a person is doing an action, we often tend to make that because of their personality. We think, you know, this person might be a mad individual, or we oftentimes will overlook the fact that they might be in a very stressful circumstance and they then attributing their behavior to like an outside factor versus an inside factor. So those are things that I try to look for too and catch myself in but again it's a very difficult process to go through and we do these things subconsciously all the time so yeah that that, that's a good one i mean it's called the fundamental attribution error yeah you know so attribution is the tendency to assign meaning to people's behaviors like if you don't come to my office when we're scheduled i'm going to sit there assigning some meaning like you're who knows 
lazy yeah. or, or inconsiderate or whatever it might be, or you must be so busy or something. And, and um, one, one uh, thing that's been noticed is how trust plays a role. So if I, tr- if I trust you, then I'll tend to attribute your mistakes to the situation. If I don't trust you, I'll tend to attribute your mistakes to you. It says something about you, and if I, and it's just it's an interesting yeah, kind of yeah, way to yeah. think about things. And then that that kind of dynamic you can explore in a lot of different contexts. I know in in um, at MLC when like teaching theory, we talk about that, where you know is the person tired today, or are they actually like a chronically late person, or you know maybe someone in their family got hurt, or just the ex- internal versus external locus of control is a very thought provoking one when you apply it to different circumstances. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And so another way to get at when the attributions are all unkind. So no matter what I do it's wrong. And no matter what good I try to do, I don't get credit for it, so to speak. Um it's another way to say the real question is is the trust and goodwill. We should be asking each other what happened to that, not get caught in the weeds of who said what. What happened to the good to the goodwill between us that Let's all of our attributions be kind and generous and taking you in the best possible way. What happened to mm-hmm. that? You know? And I think that maybe relates back to our first episode again. I don't know if we're going to bring this up in every episode, but I'm certainly helping that. Uh, but um, if you look at expectancy violation, the first impressions that you have are a big part of that. And then once you kind of get the egg to roll down one side of the the roof it kind of continues to go that way and it's much harder to get it back so maybe that's another bias that you have is the things that you tend to view favorably you continue to view favorably and Mm -hmm. and the opposite is being true as well where the things that you maybe have a negative let's say maybe tattoos have a a bad association for you and Mm -hmm. then every time you see someone with tattoos that that's the first thing that comes to your mind now what you do at that point can change but sure yeah another interesting example is the roles that people play how when you move from one role to another like student to to father or professor to father to whatever it might be how a whole different set of of traits and characteristics tends to come with the roles and so you relate to a person only according to one role and then maybe you see them in a different role and another, it's another way of coming to a much more complex view of somebody. Like uh, you think a student is arrogant, but then you didn't see him at his grandfather's, grandfather's deathbed or whatever. Yeah. Or you didn't see him crying his eyes out because he's unworthy of the ministry or something. You know, if you saw that guy, you, you would not ever sum him up in just one word, arrogant. You would know there's far more complexity. Um, as is true of any sinner saint, right? You know, even the issue of how we perceive ourselves as part of this larger category of social perception. You know, the have we talked about the looking glass syndrome already? You, I think we've talked about uh, symbolic interactions okay, sure. a little bit, okay. which is similar. It's in the same category. Yeah, Cooley's yeah. looking glass. What I think you think of me becomes my constructed self, as so the theory goes. So it's really very, very broad and far-reaching, the implications of relying on ourselves to form proper judgments. Yeah, I've got nothing else to add to that one. <laughs> okay. I'm actually, I'm, I'm looking up a quote right now. I can't remember exactly what it is, so I'm not going to be able to quote it. Um, but it's something about when you, like if only we were able to see 
all of the things that our enemies have gone through who could not have a more empathetic understanding of, of who they are. Sure. Just And that just goes back to what we kind of started off with is that we're always working with limited information. Mm-hmm. And so maybe a good step is to start to seek more information in the right. ways that we can. If you knew their struggle, <clears throat> they would arouse your compassion and you might become, you might have a very different set of responses available to you in a conflict, for example. So, yeah, that's, that's a really good example of why this area kind of matters. The, the tricky thing, I suppose, is that social perception is a necessary process. You can't not form judgments. I mean, we have to have some means of making sense of people and then you know, allowing relationship yeah. to progress from what we've learned. But it's just sort of humility, um, remaining open to having our perceptions deepen and and become more complex, as I say. And and uh, the problem is that we the, the process is necessary, but we do become very lazy. It's just a shortcut way of summing somebody up. and Yeah, and especially then, if we let them be subconscious, where we're not thinking exactly. about the ways that we're, or the criteria that we're using to make inferences. Right. So, so and we're that's what to, social perception yep, is all about. Trying is, to bring some is, mindfulness to yeah. it. You know? So again, social perception, what would keep me from approaching you open-heartedly to find out? Because I think I already know, based on sometimes very limited um a very shallow and superficial thought process. You know, that ladder of inference thing. So on the bottom of the ladder are just facts, just things a video camera would have captured. You know, it's just things we are not in dispute. At the top of the ladder is, well, we've added meanings and formed all kinds of judgments, and now we're treating you that way. It can really inform some of the most difficult conversations that we ever have. If I need to confront you, um, let me not confront you from the top of the ladder. Let me confront you from the bottom. Not say you're an alcoholic, but just talk about I saw six beer cans. Not say you're arrogant, brother, but to say I heard what you said. You said this and you said that. And then, so I guess what the Eighth Commandment brings to it as we struggle to tease out what those words were. um, It's my obligation to climb as slowly as I can. So it's not as as if I'm going to just become naive and um, ignore things that could be really deeply problematic. It's just I owe it to you to climb as slowly as I can before I reach negative perceptions. So the starting point is um, you're a brother in Christ and that's where you that's who you are and that's where I start. And only reluctantly and only very slowly would I reach a conclusion, you know, that you're something other. And so when I come and talk to you, it's going to be starting with those things that are really, really not in dispute. It's just here's the paper you handed in. I say to my student, here's the one I found on the internet and I'm just going to bring you and then you get to tell me if yeah. I'm wrong in some way. You get to you get to shape my perception. And I'll I'll listen to you. So it's that another just way of talking about the generous point of view. I that's, that's what I owe to you. The kind kindest possible way. Kindest possible way. Put yeah. the very best construction that I can without being naive or yeah, you know, just really ignoring something that should not be ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I found the quote actually. Oh, cool. It's um Henry. Wadsworth Longfellow. I have no idea who he is, so I I don't want to be quoted. How can you not know? Okay, go ahead. He's he's author, author. famous poet, author. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
No, I could be wrong, I haven't, I could I be haven't, wrong about that, actually. I have not read him extensively, I'll say. Okay. But, but it says, um, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find it in each man's life, sorrow and suffering, enough to disarm all hostility. Mm, interesting. Which I always thought was a good quote. I've Put it on Pinterest <laughs> with like a special background. There you go. Think about it. You know, there's a there's a premier communication scholar. I don't think we brought him up before, named Martin Buber. And oh yeah, this might be an interesting connection. So Martin Buber, um, probably the premier philosopher of communication in the modern era. He was a Jewish philosopher who uh, survived a Nazi concentration camp, and among a small number of people went on to do really amazing things like Corey Ten Boom and Viktor Frankl and a few others. So he's one of those. And um, his big thing, his big contribution was that he saw the whole world polarized in days of World War II. And his formulation was distinguishing two kinds of communication, two modes. One is I-it and the other is I-thou. So ich-du. And what he's getting at is when communication is I, it, it's really that you're treating people just as objects in your social world. They aren't people to you. They're just things. And so you're reacting to their attributes. You're reacting to their role, like I'm your doctor or professor or whatever. Um, Maybe you're even enjoying those attributes, but you still are, in his formulation, thinking really not a person encountering a person. He's very metaphysical, hard to read, but the, the, the alternative is the I, thou, which is a person encountering a person before their very eyes, you know. And he's, he's talking in terms of all these external things, these attributes and roles, they all fade away. And you find yourself in the presence of a person. And with my students, I always just to try to grapple with this. For I, it, I ask, show of hands, who's been a server? And John, you've been a server. Yeah, too many years, I and think. And so it, when they put their hands up, you've worked in customer service, whatever. Yeah, I know what it's like to be an it to somebody, just mm-hmm. not even yeah. somebody. There's somebody, no. I'm just something that yeah. serves, you know. And for the I, thou, my best way of getting at that is, you know, I have college-age kids in front of me, and I'll just say, when was this with your parents? When did your parents become someone to you? You know, that you suddenly just dawned on you. They have this history before you were born and they mm-hmm. have feelings of their own and thoughts and problems and they got a whole interior that just like you do you know and yeah. so that's where you start to see the heads nodding oh i i kind of i get what that is the i yeah. versus i it and and so it relates to social perception i suppose it's obvious is that are we reacting to external things as if we know what they all mean when it's really we're really revealing things about ourselves you know when we make a certain judgment we're revealing what's salient to us. We're revealing our biases more yeah. than we are getting to the essence of somebody else. And he tries to get at, again, it's, it's metaphysical mumbo-jumbo at a certain point. Yeah. You could read his book backwards. And, and it's in get, German, get about too, the same which amount. is that doesn't of, help. It doesn't help me at all. <laughs> Maybe so. that's why I wasn't getting it. <laughs> this book is nonsense. Well, um, I, think, I think that's what he's trying to get at. I, in a moment, I think I might talk about Bonhoeffer, who yeah. takes that same idea, goes Very a step similar. further. But you, you, your response to Buber, I know you studied him too. So I remember the the narrow ridge, which I think is, again, it has been a hot minute since I've I've studied. Yeah, but I think yeah, it was in reference to when you are encountering someone, um, as as another human, there are certain thing. It, it's a very it's a narrow ridge that you're on. 
that you have to you have to shed all of these other things that you'd usually uh, that you're relating to as like an it and you have to confront them in a unique space that has prerequisites and the the thing i remember mostly about him was that um when we kind of take that up into what that means for us in scripture is like how do we how do we um talk to one another as christians and it's a kind of special space that we have there so and then maybe how we i mean of course how we talk to others as well so sure that how, it how was again shed, very vague but, but how do we shed those yeah perceptions that may not be true and I mean, i'm sure this would take take us deep into law and gospel mm-hmm. right i mean we we come to that crushing awareness of ourselves again that does something to who how did i ever think i was better than anybody how did how would i ever think that you yeah. know that but then the gospel itself then to see that my need is all met my needs are all met in christ to, to have that dawn on me yeah to, and i think that's where look I, at another person and actually that, see them that's what know? i remember is that that's how that's how jesus looks at us yeah right that's how he confronts us that's how he treats us yeah, so that's so the, that's such a like a almost like a model for us to sort of emulate. That's one of the one of the points of contact in my class is when we do a little exercise and just becoming friendlier, you know, we, we always ask, now what is it about using somebody's name? What is it about withholding condemnation at some points, you know? What is it about being interested in what they're interested in? That there's something beneath all of that, some organic connection between all of those principles. There's like 25 of them. But I think they all kind of come together in this, a person treating a person as a person. Mm-hmm. I know your name. It's, yeah. You know, it's very simple things, but, but I think your, your example is really good that, that the narrow ridge is talking again about the background of polarization. That's what Boober was really concerned about. We are on our separate mountains shouting truth at each other. And I insist you tell me I'm right. And I'm going to shout at you until you Till you do, and so the narrow ridge is like the ridge between these two mountains, where we're going to try to somehow meet and have some actual communication occur. And the way I, one phrase I've come across that kind of brings some clarity to that is, we're going to try to balance advocacy of the truth. We're not going to hold truth back, but we're going to balance that with a, an appropriate openness to a person, and not open to error, but open to a person. So wanting to know what their story is and how they've come to think as they think and see things as they see things. So that's an example of... And I think, yeah, that's the narrow ridge. That's the like narrow you, ridge. You have to leave your mountain to get there, right? And and both people right. need if, to do if, this. Too. If our communication is kind of all about, uh, let's say it's the worship wars, so this can happen among us Christians too. Yeah. If what I'm bringing to you is, there's just, how could I ever learn anything from you? It's like the sun shines on my mountain. Your mountain is clouded in darkness because you love contemporary worship and I love liturgical, you know. What could I possibly learn from you? It's attitudes like that and postures like that that are going to keep either of us from growing and coming to a more complex view of the issue between us. And so there's something about, I'm going to advocate. I will, but I'm going to be open to you as a human being too. Yeah. And that's the difference between I, it, and I, thou, and, and one way of framing it. So, yeah, important stuff. And, and there's perception beneath it. Yeah. Perceiving you as my enemy, my, my adversary, or perceiving you as blood-bought, you know, yeah. someone with a story of your own, you know. Yeah. And I think there is something to be 
I mean, being a server for so many years, being treated like an it is not is not fun. <laughs> it's so usually it only comes across when there are times of it's only felt a lot when there are times of maybe a conflict, say like the wrong food got sent out or you didn't like it or things like this where you're just you're treated differently and so I I remember what I've tried to do is to be more thoughtful like when I'm in a restaurant is you know like I've I've been in those shoes before and so to not have to put someone else through that situation is one of the things that and it's I try to do to be thoughtful but I mean there are times when you know you you fall into that you know where Right, I think the, you brought up the term linguistic determinism. Was that on a yeah? That was, was that on I a podcast the, or before the podcast from just before this one. Okay, and so this is an example of that. Before you had the terminology of I it, you really couldn't probably think about yeah that difference in in communication modes. But once you hear it and understand it, then it becomes a useful lens. Yeah, you know, um, and that's the thing that that's such an intriguing thought because. It still happened before you had a name for it. Exactly. It was still there. It was still something that occurred. But when you put a name to it, it allows you to step back and be mindful as you're doing it. Exactly. Which I think is like, I mean, we argued that in the last episode, right, for dessert is that's the that's the reason we look at, you know, scholarship and you see that as adding value to our just life in general, but especially our, you know, our mm-hmm. understanding as Christians. So definitely. Now, John, we've discovered a problem with our podcast, and that is that we're recording things so spread out over time. <laughs> and I'm talking about these things all the time with yeah. students, and so I never know what I've already said. I can never remember, and I'm not going to go back and listen to our own podcast. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So I listen to it just enough to edit it, <laughs> and then it's done. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you take that pain. Yeah, that take pain on that it pain unwillingly between tis a heavy burden. Tis, but. tis. <laughs> so this might be repeat. I'll just be brief. I just like to complete the thought of Bonhoeffer with or of Buber with a thought from Bonhoeffer, who is problematic too in his own way. But when he's good, he's good. Yeah. And so it's a very similar idea to Buber. So Buber has attributes receding and falling into the background, and so he can encounter a person. Bonhoeffer kind of throws that upside down and says that, that never that's not really possible. He, he's saying we never really meet someone unless Christ comes between. And I think this may have come up on our communication episode. Yeah. But it fits here too. Mm-hmm. That in a similar way, when differences between us as Christians recede, and it, you know here there is no male or female, slave or free, all that falls away, and um, I can learn to treat you according to the decisive way God has treated you which is that he has washed you, redeemed you, and covered you. And so it's just, it's a nice way to articulate what is this generous point of view? What do we really mean by that? What can that, what's available to us? And, and it really is the the crucifying of our own pride, the crucifying and suspicion of our own judgments, and to come back to our own minds about who God has made you and who God has made me and this vital thing between us is Jesus, what he's done for you, what he's done for me. And so it takes Bonhoeffer and says, you know, it takes Buber and says, I'm not sure that we really can encounter each other in this way that Buber's trying to get at. Yeah. At least not the way a Christian can encounter a Christian. And that's what I remember. I think 
looking back now at my schooling, not in the podcast, but I think that's where the narrow ridge came in is, you know, Christ being a part of that is very much additive and almost that is one of the prerequisites that you need to have. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we can bring up another person we've talked about before, but maybe Burke uh, with identification or... Sure, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, yeah. as well, but the the idea of sharing human stuff. We share something when we share Christ, that's something even more. So So the comm scholar will talk about recognizing the humanity of somebody as sort of this is the the home run that we share human stuff in terms of desire and pain and all that kind of stuff. But again, the Bible just trumps everything and... And fills everything with life that we actually can share more than merely our, our own flawed humanity. But that's what the word in the Bible for fellowship really means. Koinonia means to have in common and having the best thing of all in common, which is the love of Christ and the, the future he's opened up for us and so on. Yeah. I think one thing that's, I mean, kind of switching lanes here, I think one of the things that's interesting about the scholarly side of social perception and the various thoughts and ideas that kind of swirl around in that whirlpool um, is the uh, a lot of it is kind of aimed at being objective about the way that we're perceiving things but it's also very interesting because those perceptions are inherently subjective and like limited and flawed so it's a it just makes for a very interesting hodgepodge of 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 thoughts and you right. know biases and all of these other things that come into play when we're talking about it. So and yeah, and it's, it's it's very easy to be like, okay, so if you have more information about someone, you'll make better inferences about them. And maybe sometimes that's true, but also like there might be a couple times where it's not because sometimes the more information that you get just confirms something that you already believed about them, which right. might not already be true. So. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting... No, I feel like I'm repeating myself, maybe, but all the theory in the world doesn't really confront what we are like in in the pride of our sinful nature. And so the the Bible just does so much more for us than all of that could ever do, because it does confront that. It does confront who I am and what I bring to people, and you just have to... Yeah, you just have to repent on your knees over the stinginess and cruelty of our judgments, and... um, but what a clarifying thing it is to live with law and gospel and in, on a daily basis. And so it's, it's sort of like the Christian has the same problem that the pagan has in, when it comes to social perception, but the Christian then also has, also has the resources, the reason, you know, the, the power to, to die to those and live another way. And, and that is to take your words and actions in the kindest way I can. So... Yeah, repetitive, but yeah, there it is. And I think we're we're kind of running out of steam on I this think, topic. I think we've covered quite a bit, though. <laughs> and I it think is it a was bit, slow going at first, yeah. John, but then I think we picked it up. It interesting to it's me, always good to throw a boober in there and oh yeah, talk about the yeah, narrow yeah. ridge. So, yep. Um, did we have a like a more desserty type thing? Maybe not as chewy as last time. I got a little well, excited. Not, so. <laughs> I, I think it's similar to last time. This time it's not reacting to a criticism, which I don't again don't feel defensive i don't i don't mind it's really useful to to be compelled to think through certain things so this wasn't quite that but i was on a discussion board from people in our church body and i just was really struck by one person just threw out there 
I think somebody had been complaining about the tone of the discussion, which happens all the time. And one person replied, I hate the word winsome. That's what he said. I just hate the word winsome. Or like, I never want to be winsome. And another person just said, just said, amen, brother. And so agreed that winsomeness yeah. is a terrible thing. And so, again, it wasn't directed at me, but I do use the word winsome. <laughs> I think it's an, kind of a good thing to want to have. Well, so, shame on you, right? But it forced I, me to just yeah. think that went through too. Um, and I'm like, and I think the context, by the way, before you react, yeah. the context was, yeah, in disagreement. So it's sort of like the I'm going to tell it like it is. If you don't like it, you know, too bad. That's your problem. I'm just going to tell it like it is, and, and as if, as if trying to be pleasant in that moment is sort of. W- Week, two week, or I, I don't, I'm not sure. What, what do you think, John? Yeah, I mean, I think my my bias is that I'm always looking for more interesting words to spice up whatever <laughs> I'm talking about. So, okay, so I mean, is... I have no predisposition. So when I first heard this, is I, I mean, I went to the dictionary as I'm doing now, okay. and but uh, here's the um, the definition that came up right away it's uh winsome means it's an adjective uh meaning attractive or appealing in appearance or character and it really struck me as something kind of neutral <laughs> or what's what's so what's i mean not, i guess i don't like about that, i don't right? have the con- <laughs> i don't have the context for again what that conversation was talking right. about but we have i mean one of the phrases that i've heard is like a winsome argument Mm-hmm. or a winsome conversation where there is there are steps taken to make sure that you are being perceived better yeah. i think is how i would describe that and that's yeah. very related to what we're talking about and, and it's just a, acknowledges an awareness for that and then doing what we can to make sure that we're interpreted correctly right. and i don't mean to use this vehicle to criticize some anonymous person it was it just was really thought-provoking i think i think where winsome got into my vocabulary a couple couple places one is um of among the most respected professors on our campus at martin luther college i had ordered a course from this man and he was discussing how the apostle paul in in the controversy and the clamor in ephesus clearly had a relationship with officials in that city and he used the word winsome to, his assumption was that that the Apostle Paul had a way of not being obnoxious, you know, in, in disagreement. He had a way of, of uh, he could make things pleasant and, yeah. and smooth between people, even people of different kinds. And the, the other way, real quickly, I'll let you respond, is a book by Gene Vietz that I give to anybody going to a secular university out of a Christian context. And the book just starts with a study of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in uh, Babylon. And it's just a study of how they handled the controversy of they should eat the king's food. And why are they eating the king's food? What's wrong? What's wrong with the king's food? And how yeah. they handled themselves was just so, so very winsome. It was In, in a they, similar vein, I think, of Daniel, too. The, yeah. same, the same type so of relationship. They understood the dilemma for the other person. They understood what that dilemma was, and they found a way to, yeah, just to navigate that pleasantly. And and so I'm sure that book, I, I think it uses the word winsome as well. And so that's what just kind of caught me. Yeah. Like, oh, we just hate this word winsome. I mean, the more I dive into it, mm-hmm. the more I would think it's a trait to be desired. 
it, I'm trying to think of a situation where that would be a bad thing to have. And I, I guess well, I'm not going to say like... If you err in the side of pleasing people and then the truth is not coming out, that'd be one thing. I, I, I think... Yeah. I feel like in the background of this discussion was... Honestly winsome, maybe. Well, <laughs> yeah. Speak the truth yeah. in love. I mean, that's mm-hmm. an obvious verse. I, I think it was like looking at Jesus, who could be very fierce, right? He can turn tables over in the temple if he wants to and be very confrontational when he needed to. Yeah, I mean, just Matthew 23, oh my goodness, talk about not being winsome. <laughs> yeah. Or the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul could be fierce. Galatians especially, mm-hmm. how he deals with people who are adding things to the gospel. I mean, it's there's, the gospel is worth fighting over, and the gospel yeah. is worth having some strong words and so on. I just, you know, I just kind of step back and say, okay, we have these examples. They aren't necessarily prescriptions or descriptions. They don't. But I really believe the preponderance of what the Bible says about how we are to be in when the truth is in dispute. I think the preponderance is really toward gentleness. So gentleness and respect. A quiet answer turns wrath away. I mean, there's a thousand scriptures I can think of. The, the Paul addressing slaves yeah. on how their conduct will make the gospel attractive, which is a really strange. I wouldn't have said that, but I say it because Paul said it. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that way about it. Making the gospel attractive, what is that? But he, he speaks that way in terms of the conduct. And it's everything the, the Proverbs say about cheerfulness and conflict, it all, it all comes together. And I would have to think that's our default. I would have to think... You know, there's there's a place for strong words, obviously, but the default would be, can I, can I maintain a climate between you and I that is amenable and whatever other words I can find for this? Yeah, and I think that goes into just our culture nowadays, too. It's all, you could argue that it's similar to as it was in Buber's time, where it was very polarized. And it's very hard to meet someone in a place where you can actually talk and being winsome is a good strategy to like get to that place on the narrow bridge and you might have put your finger on what what made a person not like the word winsome is Mm -hmm. probably reacting to a tolerant culture in the in the worst sense of the word tolerant and so we're just not going to offend anybody and if that's the point someone hates the idea we would ever say well let me not offend anybody ever let me never be scandalous i mean you're not going to preach any gospel once you've decided that your job is to keep things from ever becoming contentious. Yeah. but So I would imagine that that kind of comment would come from a place where that was not the primary factor in the situation. Mm-hmm. It was because being winsome <clears throat> by itself, Yeah, yeah I can't. I think, again, there's maybe, maybe there must be a time where the winsomeness was not called for, like a very, it could make an awkward well, situation, sure. I, I guess. Like I, you're in the wrong and you're trying to be winsome to get your way out of it type of thing. Yeah, I, I guess I, I can see that. There's ways yeah. it could all go bad, especially, again, being winsome instead of speaking the truth. Yeah. If it's one or the other, then speak the truth, if, you, yeah. if that was the false choice. Yeah. You know, the way I responded to it, I was thinking, too, my natural temperament would be to be winsome if I could. That's but social I, perception. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, it definitely. So there it is. And what I would not want to let myself do is paint to make that a virtue. You know, mm-hmm. as if I'm I'm winsome because I'm just so deeply rooted in Christ. That's why I'm being winsome. When the mm-hmm. fact is, it probably is because I like to please people and I don't like conflict. Yeah, I would like the person on this side to do the same, and not just because you tell it like it is. 
don't make a virtue out of what is your natural temperament. If you just love telling, yeah. <laughs> telling it like it is, yeah, that we can both, both, both of us can be challenged by what the scriptures say about disagreement, especially over the truth. And I'll take to heart those that say, "Come on, Timothy, be bold." God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, he gave you a spirit of boldness. And so that'd be for me and for the other person I might say, why don't you read the Proverbs? And, you know, it's not something the Bible is silent on as far as how to yeah. handle. And I think that's a good way to, like, wrap up this whole episode is just to sure. be more be more mindful about how, one, how you're observing and inferring things about other people, but then also how you are responding to those things mm-hmm. in, in your own words and actions. Yep. So that, I don't know. That seems like the kind of overarching be mindful. That Yeah. That's it. I think we're due for that's another all. awkward ending. Yeah. Is that, we end is that awkwardly? Is that the <laughs> All right, that's the end. <laughs> thanks for making it this far. <laughs> no, for real. Thanks for thanks for listening. Uh we'll uh see you all awkwardly next time. <laughs> <laughs>